Hey folks, before we get started, I wanted to tell you about the Consumer VC Summit. The Consumer VC Summit is a three-day virtual event that is focused on e-commerce, retail, and innovation. This is all happening February 23rd through 25th, 2021. Mark Nathan and I have really poured our souls into it. During the day is a mix of talks and panel discussions with some incredible founders and investors that focus on these sectors. In the evenings, we're going to be throwing networking events, and if you're a founder, you'll also have access to mentoring sessions, which means you'll meet three investors or industry professionals for feedback about your business. All of our talks and panels will also be available for replay with a ticket. Please check out summit.theconsumervc.com and enter ConsumerVC for a 20% discount. This is also located in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. Now on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the role of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you enjoy this show, please tell a friend or colleague about it and help spread the word. If you want to also search for other episodes or learn about some of the other resources that are available to you, head over to theconsumervc.com. Thank you, Sita, for the intro to today's guest, Amanda Groves one of the partners at Plus Capital. Plus Capital is an advisement and venture fund trusted by elite artists and athletes to invest in and build transformative companies. We talk about how they think about analyzing true value from celebrities to brands, what a successful partnership could look like, and the most surprising partnership on paper she's come across. Without further ado, here's Amanda. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing really, really well. Thanks. Would love to start from the very beginning. What was your initial attraction to finance and technology? Yeah. So I think I had my eyes set on it from the beginning when I was in college. I was in the Haas undergraduate business program at Berkeley and loved my finance related classes. Um, anything sort of related to mathematics generally or econ even was just something that I love to solve problems on. And so when I was thinking about what my career would be, I figured something in math and in finance would be best suited to my skill set. I really was always quantitative minded, like the sort of cut and dry nature of math and finance. Although I recognize in venture, it's less cut and dry, uh, but that was sort of the original impetus for getting into finance in the first place. Got it. Now that's that's super helpful. I'd say, you know, among the various asset classes that you have in finance, why did you maybe think that venture capital was the fit? So I actually didn't plan to get into venture capital and sort of fell into it backwards, which I'm so thankful for now. I started my career at JP Morgan and was investing across asset classes on behalf of institutional investors. So endowments, foundations, pensions, et cetera. And that was sort of my first foray into private investing because we were helping to choose managers in private equity and venture and hedge funds. And I thought, well, how interesting is their job and how much more fun would it be to even get more granular on the underlying investment as opposed to just picking the people that can 
and then subsequently pick the investments. And so I liked investing across the asset classes, but I thought given how much I enjoyed being a consumer personally and how tangible it felt to invest in consumer related companies directly, it actually ended up being a really great fit. So when my, a colleague of mine at JP Morgan introduced me to my now partner, Adam Lilling in 2016, and he sold me on this dream about investing in sort of early growth stage consumer product and consumer technology companies. And I thought it was, it was a home run. So I was super excited to join him then. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'd love to know just the different dynamics. It seems like there's a couple nuances to plus capital. And I'd love to just kind of think about how you think about where you strategically maybe position yourself in the market as well as just some of the kind of services and things that you offer. Yeah, absolutely. So it's probably helpful then to start at the beginning of why plus exists in the first place. So my partner, Adam Lang, started the firm in 2012. He was a longtime entrepreneur and subsequently an investor in the LA ecosystem. Being in LA, obviously ran up against the entertainment industry in many occasions, mostly social, but sometimes in business too, and thought, you know, there are people that can affect more change in a day than many can in a lifetime and call them celebrities, thought leaders, influencers, whatever the sort of word du jour is. But if you could leverage their audience and influence in the world of startup, you could probably help make those startups move forward faster. That was his original thesis. But he thought, you know, the traditional entertainment ecosystem is not really set up to vet and evaluate venture or even equity-based opportunities all that well, because the existing sort of infrastructure was always focused on cash-based endorsements. And so he built Plus originally as a venture advisory platform specific to celebrity, where you take household names across movies, music, and sports and help them invest in both their financial capital, but also sweat equity into businesses that they believe in with the notion that their value on the cap table is very different than everybody else's, who might be a pure play financial investor who are writing a check, giving the offer capital move forward or are a little bit more value add operationally. The celebrity value add is very different than that. And so he thought with an advisory practice focused specifically on this, he could help sort of harness that power of celebrity in the world of business and particularly in, in early and growth stage companies. So when I joined him in 2016, we had eight or so clients. They were largely um, Hollywood actors and actresses and it's completely blown up since then. I think it's very much uh, sexy for celebrities to be investing these days. More reasons than one. I think first and foremost, there are a number of celebrities that have had great case studies in writing early stage checks and seeing great returns and oftentimes bigger returns than they would have gotten from an endorsement deal. So that's part of the allure. But also thinking about how you can partner with early stage companies that you actually believe in the mission and the team in the product, as opposed to just partnering with late stage or even public companies that have crazy balance sheets to be able to afford an endorsement fee. It's sort of this great in-between where not only was it cool for celebrities to be investing, it was always a way for them to exercise this intersection of where profit meets purpose. They could back really great founders in sectors that they believed in, the things that they were thinking about when they weren't in the studio or on the field or the court, and do so in a way that was advantageous to them too as they thought about brand longevity and getting involved in business outside of just doing straight up endorsements. So Plus for the longest time was primarily a venture advisory firm. We're licensed as a broker dealer, um, have that all set up, but now also operate as a more traditional venture capital firm as well, where we have a dedicated pool of capital with all sort of strategic LPs that co-invest alongside our celebrities. So it's a multifaceted business model, but I think a really cool way to leverage celebrity, not only for their own benefit and for the benefit of the underlying companies, but to be able to bring in 
business leaders outside of Hollywood and entertainment to participate alongside them in some best in class opportunities. That's a lot there. And thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> That's awesome in terms of all that you do and it being a truly multifaceted. I'd love to start with the venture advisory platform and how you think about when you bring on a celebrity, maybe as a client or someone that's interested in investing in early opportunities. How do you think about that matchmaking type process in terms of bringing opportunities to the celebrity? Sure. Um, so the first thing is, is a lot of times they come to us with an exceptional amount of deal flow anyway, that they don't know what to do with. Because you, as you can imagine, now that it's in vogue for celebrities to participate in business, everyone's reaching out to say an Ellen DeGeneres, for example, or a Cameron Diaz and saying, you would be the perfect fit for my company. Here's some information about it. What do you think? And their business is not investing, obviously. So they send it to us to diligence and that's sort of the bread and butter. But when we think about hunting for opportunities for our clients, it starts starts with a very preliminary conversation about what you have to offer. Is it purely financial capital? Is it your personal brand and platforms? Do you want to get creatively uh, involved to help on a collaboration of some sort or marketing initiative there otherwise? And then where do you want to spend your time and your money? Is it in sustainability? Is it in better for you food and beverage? Is it in enterprise technology? Like whatever the underlying sector is that the talent is really interested in, that's where we we sort of hone in and say, okay, so you are really passionate about being vegan, for example, let's go find the best operators and entrepreneurs within the plant-based protein space and see if there's a good investable opportunity for you. So it's a little bit of both where there's top down, there's a huge funnel of deal flow that the celebrities get directly. And then we're starting sort of bottoms up and saying, we have a thesis around sustainability, for example, and how plant-based protein fits into that. Now let's go find those operators within the vertical. So it's, it's sort of a mixed bag, which I know isn't a great answer, but it's all about finding businesses that the underlying talent is really passionate about because if they don't care about the company, about the team, about the product, it's never going to work, right? Like you can write a check into a company you don't care about, but if you're structuring a more participatory partnership, then it doesn't matter if the client doesn't really love what the underlying business is. No, that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of value add for a celebrity, I could totally understand a celebrity backing a company and the, just the amount of value if the celebrity was maybe part of that promotional process process for the actual product. I could understand how that could certainly help the business as well and mission in terms of what that person believes in. I'm curious about when you have celebrities writing checks, what's the kind of level of involvement that a celebrity typically have and in be involved with a company? Is it no different to an investor? Yeah, it varies dramatically. Sometimes you're just writing a check. Like for a lot of the professional athletes that are have very intense training schedules, they're saying, look, I'm really passionate about this. I think that this solution in mental health, for example, needs to exist, but I don't have a ton of time to dedicate to it. So I'm going to write a check. They can use money in the press release to the extent it's helpful on brand awareness. That's sort of all I'm doing, which is totally fine by the way, like that, that's a great solution for a lot of companies and a lot of investors, but there are plenty of other celebrities uh, and artists and athletes that like to get much more actively involved. So out on sort of the brand awareness realm, you could also be participating with social posts. You could be participating with helping them get bigger PR. So if you're also doing PR for your next movie on Netflix, mention the company when they're doing what's in your bag or what are your essentials or whatever it is. Like there are much more interesting organic ways to leverage them in traditional PR. And then even beyond that, if you're going to do a collaboration that happens all the time. So for a direct 
direct consumer swimwear or apparel brand do like a limited edition drop where the talent is a creative director that's a much more active level of participation or on the enterprise side maybe it's sort of business development support where the artist or athlete can show up with the ceo to close a huge meeting to get into distribution off cycle or maybe there's a fortune 500 company that would be a great customer for the portfolio company they can't really open the door in the first place. I guarantee you if one of the artists or athletes calls that Fortune 500 CEO directly and says, hey, I want a meeting, they're going to take it. And so it's much more expansive in terms of the way that talent can participate outside of just social posts, which is what I think most people think of when they think of celebrities investing in companies. That's really helpful. I would say as well, keeping it broad in terms of being maybe if we can put it into two buckets, being actively involved and maybe not actively involved. Celebrity doesn't have enough time to be it. When you're structuring these deals, how do you think about in terms of maybe a discount a celebrity might receive for maybe a larger stake in the company because if they are wanting to be actively involved. Does that happen? Yeah, it generally happens in in one of two ways. The first is a celebrity is allowed to invest in a previously closed round. So say there was a company that raised a proper round of financing last year, but they really think that XYZ artists would be hugely additive to them. They will go through all the board consents to reopen that round, at which point the, the valuation stays the same right on the round. However, the revenue run rate may have changed dramatically over the last year. And so you get sort of an implied discount when celebrity is able to reopen old rounds to participate. So that's sort of the, the highest level way in which they get discounts. The second piece of it is equity grants that they may receive on top of writing a check. So for us, it's very important that the talent is almost always writing a check of some sort because for them the psychology of giving money as opposed to receiving money for some sort of partnership is generally a departure for the norm particularly for for newer artists and athletes because they're so used to getting paid for endorsements now the concept of them paying to participate is is a whole nother realm which means that they care so much more about the outcome and the deliverables which is such a better alignment of interest than a cash payment anyway with the underlying operator right um but the equity grants on top of whatever their original investment is could be warrant coverage. It could be options that vest according to them participating in some way, gifting product or talking about it or helping them attend sort of biz dev meetings. And those equity grants ultimately help average down the valuation. And so sometimes we think of it as uh, as a discount, but more often than not, it's just how do you leverage something other than financial capital in the world of business and they can earn equity based on their sweat, which is again, not a new concept. There are plenty of even funds that will take sweat equity participation or warrant coverage in exchange for helping on specific services. The talent just do so in a different way. Their services are different than a value-added fund might be. No, that's really helpful. I really appreciate that. Just your thinking. And, and thanks for the example of if a round is already closed and maybe it's been, I don't know, six months or a year, and they think that a celebrity could really provide quite a bit of value that wants to be hands-on, how that discount could occur with reopening the round and the celebrity actually getting into the company at that previous stage. I would love to know, do you happen to have any examples where maybe you brought an opportunity to a celebrity and maybe on paper it doesn't seem like it would fit but maybe once you explain it it actually becomes a very interesting fit and really actually there's actually a lot of alignment between the celebrity and the actual brand 
Yes, that happens all the time. I think a lot of times celebrity or artists and athlete investors get pigeonholed into only thinking about consumer product companies because that's traditionally where the most endorsements are done too. But the best example I have is is probably with Sean White and a company called BetterUp, which is an executive coaching platform based in San Francisco. It's an enterprise business. They sell B2B to provide this. Think of it as like an executive coach for everybody that's not in the C-suite. So mid-level managers have this resource to connect with coaches to help with workplace productivity uh, and professional development and workplace happiness. Doesn't really on the surface sound like something that talent could be hugely helpful in. However, when we came to Sean, we said, hey, look, like you as a professional athlete have had coaches since you were seven. You had a strength coach, a nutrition coach, a tricks coach, like all of these different kinds, even like a, a communication style of coach with a PR team. Executives in business also need that kind of coaching. It's just not as obvious. And so if you could talk about how coaching was imperative to your success, I think it would really help with the underlying utilization of mid-level managers that haven't tapped into the resources that BetterUp provides yet, but would if they knew that there wasn't a stigma attached to it, that it wasn't like sort of the same way that people thought of therapy uh, maybe a couple of years ago. It was like, oh, you're weak if you go to a therapist. That's not true. Like tra- train your brain the same way that you train your body. And so when we explained that to Sean, he was like, oh my gosh, no brainer. Like of course, everyone should have access to coaching in terms of bettering themselves professionally or personally. And I'd, I'd be happy to talk about it. And so the coolest thing was when the CEO, Alexi, interviewed Sean for a better up live interview, which is available to all of the better up customers and even um, customers that were not yet customers at the time were very much in the pipeline to a help spread the better up word, but b make it sort of help destigmatize coaching in a professional setting, which again, like that's n- super not an obvious connection, but it really resonated with Sean because he truly believed that he never would have won all three gold medals had he not had those coaches along the way. And so it was very cool to translate that athletic experience into one focused entirely on business. No, I love that. And I love that on paper. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it would come together or there isn't alignment in terms of, you know, helping both parties and really being part of that mission. But as you explain it, that really does make a lot of sense. I know you mentioned CPG as, you know, I think that a lot of folks think about celebrities and CPG and launching as well, CPG brands that we've seen in the past few years. But I'd say when you talk to celebrities advisory side, are there specific categories or types of companies that celebrities might find most interesting? I mean, honestly, it's the companies where they use the product or service already, right? It's like, everyone's like, oh, well, I use Uber. It's like, I should probably invest in Uber or Lyft. Like, okay, yeah, that would have been great 10 years ago or whatever. (laughs) So it ends up usually starting the conversation around food and beverage or other sort of tech services that they're using and saying like, what's in your pantry? What's in your fridge? Do you care deeply about any of those things? And especially with athletes, they often do care deeply about what they're putting in their body. So that seems to resonate a lot. We generally think about the investment universe that we participated in five primary categories, which tend to align really well with the passions and interests of our artists and athletes. So we think about sustainability, health and wellness, the conscious consumer, the future of work and the future of education. So the education piece seems pretty obvious. Like a lot of our clients are parents. And so especially in today's world where not everybody is going to a physical school, um, it's been interesting to explore that category more deeply. Future of work sort of similarly, like how can people, even in production, like if we 
focus entirely on entertainment. Like what are the productivity tools that allow people to work together even remotely? So that one's been interesting. Health and wellness is sort of obvious. Sustainability continues to be one that comes up repeatedly as I think people are paying more attention to what's going on around them, both with respect to food and beverage, but also just general sort of waste and preservation of the world's resources. And then the conscious consumer is a trend that we've been seeing for a long time where people are not only reading the labels of the food and beverages that they're eating and drinking, but now they're looking for a brand story. Now they're looking for even a sustainability component to like a leather good or something that they're buying. And so those stories end up resonating so much better with our clients and something that's sort of mass produced without a reason or a mission behind it, which again is not dissimilar from general trends in the marketplace but they're ones that are easier for the talent to get behind because it resonates with them personally. Of course, that makes a lot of sense in terms of how talent could get behind those different categories as well as those are very on trend, as you say. But, you know, in terms of how you think about these five different categories, I'd love to also talk about your venture fund as well. Are you thesis driven on those five different categories or are you a bit more broad? It's a great question. It's a little, I'd say sort of broad. Like we we won't invest outside of those five categories. Like we have to make sure that there's a fit within those investment themes because that's where we think sort of the world is moving where there's going to be the most upside from a pure play financial investment perspective. But I also think it's important to note that we'll never make an investment specifically through the fund or otherwise where there's not one of our clients or artists or athletes attached to it. We find ourselves to be really, really great investors anyway, uh, not to sound cocky, but we think that you know we're, we're good at finding winners. However, the value that we're providing to the company is generally tied directly to the talent that's participating alongside. And so if they want plus to invest and don't care whether or not an artist or athlete is participating, it's certainly a red flag for us. We really only want to participate in businesses where we feel like we have an unfair advantage with respect to either access or economics, which is generally attributable to the talent's participation. And so while we are really adamant about investing in those five themes, and like I said, they align with the passions and interests of our clients, we're never just going to write a check through the fund without any participation from the talent. We really want to invest in companies and sort of augment what this artist or athlete are doing for those businesses with a more substantial check and with the breadth and power of our team behind them, but not lead with that. Um, and so as you look at sort of the landscape of venture capital in general, we're never leading deals. We're always co-investing. We tend to be friends with everybody, uh, which is nice because I think sometimes venture capital gets a little sharp elbowed as people are competing for the same deals because we're a small check through the fund and the talent is generally a small check. It's easy to loop us into things when there's a role for the talent to play with respect to customer acquisition or brand awareness or business development most commonly. Are some of the talent also tied to the fund? Are they also some of your LPs? So LPs in the fund, but it's less common. Obviously, the value of having them involved is when they're directly participating. Their name is on the cap table. They feel like they were picking the company. It's something that they're really passionate about. However, there are some clients who want to sort of diversify their venture exposure in the way that I think of like a more institutional style of investor saying, okay, well, I'm going to invest in venture and I need to diversify even within that sub allocation. And so for some clients that have balance sheets that are big enough, 
enough or they don't have a lot of direct deals, they'll also invest in the fund so that they get another 20 to 25 portfolio companies in addition to the four to eight that they're going to participate in directly. Some of that's also just a function of time and sort of availability, right? Like you don't want to spread yourself too thin so you can commit to doing four to five things directly or four to eight things for some people. And then everything else goes to the fund in a much more passive way because again, we underrate everything in the fund to a three to five X and three to five years as sort of the base case scenario. And so we think it's a good investment for everybody, but we want to make sure that we're leveraging the artists and athletes where they're most impactful, where they really care, as opposed to just being a pure play financial vehicle. Totally. So the talent and the fund has to go hand in hand on every deal pretty much. Exactly. I mean, there's times when there's like a timing mismatch, but the fund will never invest without an artist or athlete participating as well. It's really meant to augment what they're doing. Amazing. Amazing. You know, we've seen in the past few years on the consumer side, a lot more and more celebrities become founders, starting their own businesses rather than just being endorsers or not actually co-founding a company, but maybe investing along the way. Does this affect your advisory position at all, you think? No, I mean, we, we do that with clients all the time too. So for example, Portia de Rossi has an art company uh, that Plus helped her build and advised on. So we help, or Zoe Saldana, for example, has a Latin media company called Bisa that we helped her with. So when clients have an interest in becoming a co-founder or founder of a business, we'll absolutely help them fully flush it out. I'd say more often than not, they end up not going down the route of founding their own company. They end up pursuing a JV, for example, or finding an early stage business that's operating in the sector that they want to participate in and then partnering with those people. Because obviously being a founder of a company is incredibly challenging, incredibly time consuming. And for these artists and athletes that are also full-time athletes or full-time actors or actresses or musicians or whatever, it's just not palatable for the success of the business to have people have two jobs for the most part, right? And so we we certainly help clients become sort of founders or co-founders of their own businesses when appropriate, but that doesn't come until after we fully flushed out all of the different opportunities for them. it's not the right fit for everybody in the same way that like not every single human on this planet is meant to be a founder it's a lot of hard work it takes a very specific skill set and drive and so you need to sort of evaluate all of the alternatives and everything else that's on somebody's plate before we go down the route of building a company specific to the talent where they're a founder or co-founder Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So I'd love for you to walk us through a little bit about your due diligence process. And it seems like there's some moving parts as well, since you are thinking about talent, you're probably with every opportunity thinking about talent as well as the fund. Uh, but would just love to kind of see when you do see an opportunity that's intriguing, what makes it intriguing and how you think about pulling these two sides together. That's a great question. I think our due diligence process is not all that different from any other other VCs due diligence process. It's so much about team, about market, about product, about capital they've raised to date, how much capital they need to go forward, what the exit opportunities are. So that all is is fairly standard. The one thing I'll say that's very differentiated based on, on our experience, actually, there's probably two. The first is brand risk and sort of the category in which the company falls. Because as you know, with talent, as soon as they get involved, it becomes a big press story in one way or the other. And if something 
something bad ever happens with the company, say in, in food and beverage, if something spoils and it's delivered to a customer and they get sick, immediately the press is going to be like, oh, well, it's whoever celebrity's fault. It's their company that got this person sick. Like, whoa, is me. Because they're in the spotlight, they end up taking heat before everybody else because they're a reputable name. It's a better press story. So part of it's related to brand risk. Also, like in certain categories, you don't want to attach talent to directly. I'd say particularly in like healthcare and more technical healthcare, even like biotech, like they probably shouldn't be backing specific medications, for example, because again, if something goes wrong, uh, then it's their fault. There are certainly ex- exceptions to that rule, but brand risk is a huge thing that we think about, particularly as we're doing background checks on teams and all that kind of stuff. The one other thing that's different about our diligence process is related to my previous note about sort of being friends with other venture investors because we're just co-investing. Because we're co-investing, we're not leading, we're not competitive with the VCs that we invest alongside, they often end up sharing a lot of information with us to get us comfortable in a shorter amount of time, particularly if the round has already been closed and they're saying, hey, we've been investors for three to five years. We have a board seat. This is how we think about the business. This is how we underwrote it. This is how they've tracked against their projections. And that sort of visibility and line of sight is truly invaluable for us in making a decision both on behalf of our clients and ourselves. And so I'm I'm very grateful that in a industry that sometimes isn't incredibly collaborative, that we can be and leverage sort of shared information across the board to make really, really informed decisions, even if it's a short timeline in which we're running our diligence process. That's really helpful. Thanks for pointing out some of the differences and that makes sense when you're not leading what other opportunities that that can lead to, right? In terms of being friendly with other folks and and obviously sharing a bit of deal flow there. What's one thing that you would change about venture capital? I think it's that point in particular. I mean, I'm a little bit maybe spoiled or biased because being in the LA ecosystem, I find that a lot of the young investors in LA in particular are very good friends, very good people, interact all the time, exchange ideas, exchange deal flow very regularly. I find in some other geographies, again, it's it's a lot less collaborative. Everybody's sort of fighting for the same deals. And as a function of that and a function of the competitive nature of the industry, aren't sharing information and learnings. And so as this industry evolves, that competition will always exist. But I'm hopeful that there's more collaboration along the way because I think there's so much to be learned from any individual portfolio company investment case study. It would make all of us better if we shared it better. And so I happen to be in in a good position based on the structure of our firm and and being in Los Angeles, where it's slightly uh, less sharp elbow than the Bay Area, for example. But I think that will continue to evolve, especially now that people are more dispersed geographically post-COVID or or perhaps will be next year. We're going to have to find ways to share information and collaborate, which I think will ultimately be better for everybody. No, absolutely. I mean, first of all, thanks for the shout out to the LA ecosystem. I have had a bunch of investors on from New York and San Francisco. And when it comes to LA, in terms of some of the dynamics of being collaborative, I absolutely agree as well. Since, you know, LA is still obviously building, I think you need to be collaborative in order to help build and embrace it. That seems very, very much the sentiment that I've seen from Los Angeles, which is super exciting since I'm also based here. So what's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? 
I got to give a plug to our partner, Matthew McConaughey. He just put out Green Lights, which inspired me sort of both ways, but primarily personally. First of all, Green Lights is written in such a fun way. You can get through the book in a couple of days. And the way that he writes is so captivating. It's like everything's written as a lyric, sort of, or, or the way he describes it is as bumper stickers. And so I think just with respect to how you tell your personal story or your brand or how you engage with other people and how you think about how different experiences throughout life can ultimately make you better down the road as long as you have the right sort of headspace to evaluate what you've learned and how you improve and all those things. He does such a great job in that book. So highly recommend it uh, to those who haven't read it yet. And then professionally, Everybody Lies is another great one all around sort of data. And, And originally it's focused on sort of how what you search on Google tells a lot about who you are and what you think about. But it gave me a different perspective on how I evaluate data, both in the context of due diligence from a professional perspective, but also just like in general, I think big data gets thrown around as a term all the time. And very few people actually know what that means. And the book does such an interesting job of of laying it all out there. So again, highly recommend that one as well. No, I love that. I know on the Matthew McConaughey side, no one's mentioned that book on the show yet. So excited to add that to the list. And that sounds really interesting. And I think I don't think anyone else has um, also mentioned everyone every live. So you're very original here, Amanda. No one else has mentioned these books. This is great. Amazing. I feel like there's like a a short list of books that every VC talks about all the time. It's like, I can't say sapiens. Like people are are done (laughs) talking. (laughs) The one that comes up most is Shoe Dog. Oh, yeah. It's a great one. She's always been mentioned like probably like 10 times or so, which is quite a lot. I have a personal connection. Well, not personal, but I am. Um, I played soccer at Cal and we were a Nike school. So we had so much great Nike gear. And so I remember reading the book and be like, oh yeah, yeah. They have like such an eye towards quality and style and like appealing to masses. And then more recently, Cal is no longer a, a Nike school. Their gear is by a different brand. And I was like heartbroken, like so thankful <laughs> that I got in my Nike school swag bag while I did. Um, But yeah, your dog is awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. Final question for you. What's one piece of advice that you have for founders? Be transparent as possible. I find that the best founders and operators that we work with, again, this gets said all the time, but they know what they don't know and they're honest about it, which ultimately enables the people around you to support you better. Because if like there's a certain element of faking it until you make it, which is great, but also knowing what's, what's scary behind a corner that you're less educated about or less experienced in, being able to vocalize that, not necessarily as a weakness, but just as sort of point blank as a fact, I think makes it so much easier to help them grow and succeed and put the right people around the table that do have expertise in those areas. And so transparency with respect to your skill set, your knowledge, your team is so, so important. And again, in an industry where everybody talks all the time, it's very easy to find the people that are engaging in sort of white lies in, in some way. You just don't want to get bit in the ass. <laughs> That's a real no, totally. I mean, it reminds me of a, a conversation that I had with Eamon Carey. He said he thinks that the biggest words are I don't know, and that those should be celebrated a lot more because it's a lot easier to be, to be honest, just, you know, understanding what you understand, what understand what you don't understand. And, you know, no one's gonna understand everything, right? So absolutely. And, and committing to do something about it, too. Like, it's 
first and foremost, admit that you don't know it. And then secondly, if it's important to your business or to your team or whatever, spend the time to get yourself up to speed on it as opposed to saying, oh, I don't know, it's not my problem. Like that, the accountability and the transparency, are, I think are the two most important components of, of being a, a great founder, at least in our experience and, and backing some awesome ones along the way. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Amanda, this has been so fun. Thanks so much for joining me today. So much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And there you have it. Thanks again, Amanda, for coming on. It was so great chatting. You're also welcome to follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks. 